I am the hands. I am the feet. I am heart. I am church. Good morning and welcome. If you're new here, um, I'd just like you to uh, feel welcome. Uh, George, can we just have a play around with this, please? It's not it's feeling a, sounding a little bit weird. Thanks very much. Well, so this this um, next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the church. Uh, I am church is what we've titled the message. Really, we're talking about us. We're talking about the body of Christ. That's the reason why I'm wearing this T-shirt today. I thought this would be a good thing to wear. It's got volunteer written on it. Uh, these are the T-shirts that we use when we're running an event, hosting an event. Uh, as you know, I'm paid to be good. Most of you are um, good for nothing. And, <laughs> and so I get, to wear this, I get to wear this T-shirt. And so it's all part of the theme today. Hey, um, the, the church is called the Ecclesia. That's the Greek term for the church. And it means the called out ones. Ones who have been called out of society to become this living body, the body of Christ. And it's a very, very unique organism. And I think familiarity often in the life of the church can lead to contempt. And as much as we need to stop at times and pause and say, I value the church. I value what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Uh, just earlier on this morning, I, I just met a, uh, a family. I'm going to call them out. I'll embarrass them straight up here. Um, Marcus and his family, they arrived from South Africa on Thursday. I don't know anything more about you guys, really. Put your hands up, eh? So let's welcome them. But what their presence here is telling us is that the body of Christ is universal. You can roll into any church in any place around the world and you get that embrace of welcome because we are part of the ecclesia the called out ones, those who have been called to be part of this, this body that is obviously bigger than ourselves. 30 years ago, my wife and I committed ourselves to the well-being of the church, the pursuit of Christ and the well-being of his body, the church. And that's a commitment that we've made and will continue to make because we believe in the church. We believe in its present and future potential. We believe in its history and we believe that it's something very, very unique that no one can replace, no one could ever duplicate in a similar form. Uh, a few years ago, Michaela and I, my wife and I, and a few of the other staff, went and listened uh, to a British speaker, Canon J. John. And uh, he's a very, very good leader and a very good communicator. And he was explaining to us how uh, he loves sitting on planes, he travels a lot, and how it is that uh, he has these conversations with people about what he does. And they say, what, what do you do for a living? And he says, well, I'm part of a global corporation. He says, our desire is to see people succeed from learning their identity and who they are. Uh, we have invested all around the world in orphanages and education programs and health programs. Uh, we influence government. We influence all of society. And he was talking about this particular conversation that he had had with this lady on the way to Auckland. And uh, she was just going, wow, really? That's truly do you? And, and you know, and she was just really listening in deeply to what it is about this this organization that he worked for. And she said, Can you tell me what's the name of the organization? And she said, he said, It's the church. And she was like, 
oh, you know, oh, not quite sure what to think of that now. But you see, we live and we're part of an organization that is global and it is just the salt and light that permeates the earth. And we're part of a church. We're part of the church in this wider body of the church in the city of Tauranga. One of the things, having been here for 22 years, is that I'm really excited about the, the well-being of the church in our city. I don't think our churches in our city have been at a healthier state and a healthier place. It really excites me to see that there's so many churches in our district that are prospering. Uh, other churches are looking at planting churches. Uh, we, of course, are going to be planting out at Papamoa later in the year. And that's exciting for us because we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of these, these churches, the wider body of Christ. And, uh, and to be honest, you know, with the growth of our city, uh, we've really, really got to work hard to save the Aucklanders who are coming down. You know, they, they need salvation. You know, having lived up there all their life, there's lots of things they need to be, be rid of, you know. So um, we'll work with God on that. But the church, the church is God's gift. And, uh, and we, we, we can't dare go it alone. You can't dare go it alone. If you try and go it alone with just saying, it's just me and it's just Jesus, uh, you'll find that you'll go cold and old and stale really, really quickly. And there will be people around, people you know, who say, oh, I can do this thing on my own. The simple truth is you can't and you are never designed to prosper to be at your best by going it alone. Um, one of the things I just want to give a shout out to in respect to family life as we start the beginning of this, this year is um, it's very easy in a family to have a wheel-see attitude concerning church. Like I say, 22 years I've been here, and I've seen young families grow their kids into young adults. And I can tell you that if you're a parent who has a what-are-we-doing-tomorrow-dad-we'll-see attitude concerning Sunday, you're giving huge messages to your family concerning the priority of worship and the priority of the word and the priority of fellowship. Uh, all I can say is this, is that when I've seen families who say church is what we do, we get committed, we get involved with volunteerism, and we, uh, this is how we roll, this is who we are, Sunday is our deal, uh, I can tell you that I've seen those kids really prosper and go on in the things of the Lord. But if we have a, you know, what are we doing tomorrow, Dad? Oh, we'll see. Well, we, all you're really saying is we'll see how the kids go. They might get lucky, they might not. I don't want to be a, you know, a, a Grinch here, but let's just name it for what it is, because that, that is the way it is. We'll see. What do you mean, Dad? We'll see. Oh, we'll see if, um, see if the weather's good. We might go to the beach. You know, oh, if the weather's bad, we might stay home. You know, I, I, I mean, we might have to connect with Mum and Dad or Grandma and Granddad or whatever, but you can't have a we'll-see attitude when it comes to fellowship. In the end of the day, you reap what you sow. It's a simple principle and you can't avoid it. And you might think you're cleverer than it, bigger than it, brighter than it. But we'll see doesn't, doesn't cut it. Because when your kids roll out to university and you say, you're going to go to church tomorrow? You know what their response will be? We'll see. We'll see. So there you go. There's a good down buzz for this morning. <laughs> Let's get into the word. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, 
some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are powerful, powerful words that Jesus defined his church by. He gave authority to Peter and the apostles to have authority to bind and to build on earth what it is that the will of God is in heaven. But he said something very profound, didn't he? He said that the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. And so we've seen throughout history, 2,000 years now of history, and the church has gone through its fluctuations, its ups and its downs. Uh, but right now, the church is on a huge up, particularly in the area of the East and South and Central America, Asia, uh, former Russian states. The, the, the church is growing at a profound rate. They say no church growth has never been more rampant than it has in this last century, which is truly amazing. In the West, of course, we're suffering a bit. We're seeing the decline of the church. Just don't let the media define your image of the church. The media is the media, secular by nature, and its definition, if you like, is to pull down and push away spiritual communities. And so don't be confused by that. Your image of the church has to be built around your experience, not what somebody would say about it. So it's very important for you to hold on to that image. 27 years ago, the Putararu Baptist Church, which is just over the hill from us, was at a real low point. And I was part of the Otomotai Baptist Church congregation at the time, and they had an intern in the name of George Langford go over to help out get this church back on its feet. It was down to 20 people. And they realized that one of the things they had to do was freshen up the building. The building was really, really tardy, tired and old. And so they decided that they would take up an offering to get some money to tidy up the church. And uh, a, a lady who was a pensioner gave this huge amount of money, tens of thousands of dollars. And the reason why she could do that is that for the 20 years prior, she'd been going to the local craft market on a Saturday, selling her wares, putting aside the money, because she knew there would come a day when God would have her give such a gift to the local church. You see, here's a, a woman who believed in the local church, who invested in the local church by pouring her time into it. And that church turned around. The, the building project was just part of a spiritual renewal. And that church really prospered over the years and still does a fantastic job at serving its community now. Why? Because people believe in the church and its capacity to turn around. The scriptures say to us here, remember that at the time you were separated from God, separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, our citizenship is in heaven, but our residence is here in this church. Our residence is here in the local body. And that for us means that we each have a place to stay. We each have a place to belong. 
you who are far away have been brought near. Um, our, one of our daughters, Melissa, and her husband, Dan, have been away overseas for six months doing an OE. Uh, two days ago, they arrived back. They had been in Auckland with Dan's parents, and uh, we expect them to come and see us tomorrow. So we have a sense in which those who are far away have been brought near to us. And there's that celebration in our household, in our hearts, as there is a celebration in heaven, when we are brought near, when we are brought into fellowship. And so it's a unique experience, fellowship. It's a unique experience to be in the body of Christ. It's something that can never be taken away. I know that having become a Christian in my early 20s, it was a, an amazing experience to find that this thing called the church actually has so much depth and so much breadth to it. Having been spending my time, a majority of my time, in sports clubs and the like in my, in my teens, um, I, I had a very, very limited view of what community was all about. You know, the thing that really captured my attention as a new Christian about the body of Christ was the older folks. What I saw in the older folks was life, was faith, was a future, and a hope. And it didn't matter who I was talking to, whether they were 70, 80, or 90. These folks talked about the future. When I was hanging around in the rugby club, the 60- and 70-year-olds were just trying to tell us how good a rugby player they were in their day. You know, the older I get, the better I was. You know, same old story, isn't it? But, but the thing is about, about the, the fact that faith resides amongst the community. And it's all ages, all ages, that reflect the beauty of Christ. The scriptures tell us here in Ephesians 2, 17 to 19, carrying on. Um, we'll drop down to that second paragraph. We just read the first one. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In the staff, we celebrated um, our children's minister, Pat Thompson, and her coming into citizenship, having come through from South Africa with her family. Um, she went through a citizenship program and was... Uh, Julie presented her citizenship certificates by the mayor in Taranga in a ceremony. And we celebrated the fact that she and her family have been able to change their physical residence, but their identity, they now are New Zealand citizens. And so for us, as members of the church, we need to remind ourselves and each other that we are citizens of heaven that reside here in the church. And Ephesians goes on to say, and it's built in the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know when we gather together for worship and there's a tangible presence of God in the midst of us. That's God indwelling. That's God pouring his spirit into our gatherings together, our time of worship. And that's why it's far more an enriching experience when we come and gather for worship than it would be if we were doing something on our own. Now, I'm not saying doing things on your own, your own private devotional life is, is second class at all, but it is a different dynamic. It's a different dynamic because we come together and we lay down all of our, all of our rights. 
We lay down all of our places that we hold in society, our jobs, our, any status we carry, any wealth, any education. And we lay these all down at the foot of the cross and we come as equals. Have you noticed there is no, sorry, there's only flat ground at the foot of the cross. We all come and we gather there. And so for us as citizens of heaven, as we gather here to be part of the body of Christ, we become a place where God dwells by his spirit. And it says, the scriptures tell us, that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Now here's a picture of a cornerstone. Uh, This is a bit more of a modern rendition of a cornerstone. But in the day in the Middle East, a cornerstone would be a big solid rock that you have found somewhere in the field. And you would say that can serve as the cornerstone for our home. And so the house would be built using that big rock that's been in the ground forever as a cornerstone for your house. You know your little story that Jesus talked about, the wise man built his house upon the rock? This is what we're referring to here when Jesus himself becomes the cornerstone, the anchor point for every other part of the building. And that's what we're describing here today. And so for us to build, um, we need to be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, recognizing that that is where the building is and where it belongs. Uh, I was talking with some folks just recently about their own building experiences and how these days you've got to get a geotech report to find out what it is that's underneath the ground. And if you ever have to pay a geotech guy for his report, you'll know that it must be a very, very, very difficult process, (laughs) to say the least. Um, But if anybody wants to get a geotech report, if I can charge you what they charge, I'll come out and dig the hole for you to find out what's there. So it's, it's, it's all about finding out what's underneath. And this is why my shout-out was earlier on about families having a we'll-see attitude. You see, ultimately, when families send their kids off to another town for work or for education, there'll be a we'll-see result. There'll be a digging down, a geotech report of the person's spiritual values or where they sit or stand with Christ. And this is um, a, a very revealing process. It's a very revealing process. And it means that we need to be invested not only in ourselves, but in each other. That's what the body of Christ is designed for, that we can actually be there for one another. Remember when we do baby dedications up here on stage? We take these little cute little bundles of joy, mostly joy, <laughs> and we bless them. We say, the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and, keep, and give you peace. And we welcome them into the family of the body of Christ. And what there is going on there is a transaction of commitment that says we are committed to the well-being of the younger people in our community, in our, in our church. And for us, that's why we invest so heavily in children and youth. We want to ensure that as far as what we do on a Sunday, the best thing possible we can do is to give our children every opportunity to know the Lord. Corinthians talks again about the body in a different way. It says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Uh, Here the Apostle Paul is talking about 
the dynamics of difference. The difference between somebody who was a slave and somebody who was, a, who was free was incredibly diverse. Somebody who was a, a Gentile, somebody who was a Jew, incredibly diverse. And so the church has this outward appearance of being a ragtag sort of put together body of people, an eclectic sort of group. You know when you ever go to an antique dealer's shop and you look in that, in that, around that shop and there's just bric-a-brac, they call it, don't they? Just stuff everywhere. Stuff from different generations, stuff that looks new, stuff that's sort of half broken, stuff that you don't even know what anybody ever did with it. That's the body of Christ. And uh, maybe Mr. Potato Head can remind us of what that difference can look like. But it's, it's a beautiful thing, the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about it as a physical body. And when I read this, I don't know about you, but I, I start to ask myself the question, what part of this body am I? It says, even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And this is where we need to value ourselves, and we need to value each other. Not everybody's called to be a missionary. Not everybody is called to be a musician. Not everybody's called to be doing the job that you are doing. But not only are you called to serve in the local church, but your, your faith and your giftedness takes you out into the community to be school teachers, to be business people, to be orchardists, to be nurses, to be doctors, to be all of these different, different jobs. And when I look around the body of Christ and I see what it is that people do, it absolutely astounds me. There are some things that I see people doing and I go, how can you ever get out of bed in the morning wanting to do that? Where are the accountants around here? <laughs> Where are the accountants? And, and I love it in the body of Christ. You know, we've got the tech guys at the back over here. We only ever know they're there when uh, something goes wrong, don't we? But these guys just love all the wizardry of gadgets and buttons and lights and sounds and all those different things. And, uh, you know, for me, I don't even know how to turn on the sound system around here. Uh, it's, that's intentional. Because if I knew half of what I needed to know, which is all I'll ever know, I'll be a menace. So there are certain things that I say, it's better for me not to know. And if we can't have somebody help us run this place, then we've got nothing to offer anyway. Being part of the body is really, really important. Being, knowing where your giftedness is. Knowing what you're called to do. And just to see the joy, that sense of purpose and the sense of place that people have when they're part of the body. And Paul goes on, he's really making a big deal about this being part of the body stuff. He says here, now these tech guys are doing something here. You have me on guys, did I not thank you enough? 
What's happening here? Mm -hmm. Hello, there you go. Did that, was that me? Did I make that work or did somebody move for me? I made it work, I think. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need, to, need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices. And here the physical body is being spoken about. We, 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 uh, to be perfectly blunt, we wear clothes because modesty is an important part of the, being the body. And there are parts of our body that we don't really talk about much, uh, but if they um, stop functioning, you'd soon know about it, wouldn't it? Our body works as a cohesive unit. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, is that it works as a cohesive unit. I, I still have a sense that there is just so much untapped potential in the life of the church throughout the world. As people discover who they are, what they need to grow up and into, and have confidence about their ability, this is what's going to take us on a journey far greater than we've ever been on. You know, the Boeing A380 is one of the latest aircraft out. Anybody been for a ride in one of these? Yeah, you have? I know the Emirates fly them out of Auckland. Seats 520 people, and there are 7 million parts in an A380. And not one of those parts can fly on their own. Okay? Not one of the, these parts can fly on their own. But it's said of an aeroplane that it wears out more quickly when it's on the ground than it does when it's in the air. Isn't that fascinating? It wears out more quickly, subject to corrosive forces, the pressure of gravity upon it, and all those different things, when it's on the ground than when it's in the air. These things are made to fly. They are made to fly. And so it is with the church. When the church says that I worship a God who was and did, rather than the God who is and does, was, did, is, does, past versus present and future, then we will become redundant and we will become irrelevant. But we are the church of the God who is and does, not the God who was and did. And so it is with our future. We need to continue to grow and ensure that this body that we're part of is celebrated by all of us, not just taken for granted, not despised or mocked, but it is indeed the body of Christ here on earth. I found this picture, which I, I hope captures it. It's got the images of all sorts of people from different lifestyles and backgrounds being embraced in the arms of Christ. We are, some, we are part of something bigger than ourselves, and it is an amazing part of a, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. So what are the biggest challenges to the body? I think one of the biggest challenges to the body of Christ is uh, just the simple sin that gets in the way. Um, and let me name one of the things that I think are the biggest, is the biggest challenge. Uh, now, I, I serve 
not only in the life of this church, but uh, as the national leader for the Baptist churches. And I have found that there is a corrosive element in some churches that will just ultimately see their demise. And that corrosive element is called gossip. It's called gossip. You like this little girl here? What a great picture, eh? Well, Mary, I was shocked to see that Susie, see Susie chewing gum during church. And then I saw Billy hide a comic book inside his Bible. And Timmy only put a penny in the offering plate when I knew he had da-da-da. Okay? Yeah? It's probably, a, it's probably Just feel under your seat. You probably find a bit of chewing gum there now. And we don't need a comic behind our Bible. We have our phones with the Bible app open with another couple of pages of the Herald or a few different things that we might be reading at the same time. But what the picture is here is that of somebody who is gossiping. Gossip is like sugar. It is sweet, tastes marvelous, and it's addictive. And it's addictive. I've seen churches absolutely destroy themselves through gossip. I've got to go away at the end of uh, uh, January and and spent a couple of days with a church where gossip has all but ruined it. So I'm not talking here about some mythical creature. I'm talking about a real scenario. And, and the thing is that when it comes to, to gossip, um, it is like sugar. And sugar, you could argue, is energy. But you take that same sugar, you take that energy, and you pour it into the petrol tank of a car with other energy, supposedly speaking, and it'll destroy the engine. Okay, and so it is with, with gossip. Gossip destroys. I think gossip is the methamphetamine to the church. Okay? Because it's a funny thing. The thing about these churches that I've been dealing with recently around the country is that people come and go, but the same spirit remains. People who have never really been involved with gossip get drawn into gossip. Because it's just the spirit of the church. And I use the word methamphetamine. It's because if somebody has boiled up pee in that house, it'll take a big clean out before that house is usable again. Because gossip breeds gossip. If somebody's gossiping and then gossip is confronted, that gives them something to gossip about. Okay? And when that gossip is confronted, that gives people more gossip to gossip about. The nature of gossip is that uh, it just destroys people and it ruins people. And the thing about gossip is that it's actually a claim to a moral or spiritual superiority. You know, whenever someone comes to you and says, did you know that? I just heard that. What they're actually saying is, here's something that I think is poor or bad or sinful, but it's something that I would never do because I wouldn't be talking to you about it if I was equal equally doing it. Jesus said, quite simply, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. So gossip is something that we need to always be mindful of. Now, there's, there's, um, there's positive conversations, of course. Uh, I love it when I, I get a, um, an update from Claire Martin, who leads our prayer chain ministry, uh, on email. And the way she just writes down to all of us who are on that prayer chain about... Um, the needs that people have, and we need to pray for these folks. It's done in such a, uh, a good way, in a positive way, in a firming way. No, not judgment, but just simply describing what it is that, 
is needed for prayer. Because one of the things that can masquerade as prayer is really gossip. I just wanted to let you know, just so you can pray about it. You might have heard about those. But I just want to say that, that gossip is, the destruct, is a destructive force in the life of the church. And um, God's answer to gossip is Matthew 18. Okay, it says here, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that they might, so that, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know, there's nothing uh, that stops gossip easier than by going to the person who just said it, did you know about so-and-so? You go, no, but I better give them a ring to see if that's true or not. Okay? Oh, no, you don't need to do that. I just thought I'd pass it on for you to pray about. Okay? That's the nature of gossip. The nature of gossip is that the body of Christ will be destroyed as a result of it. So we just have to be so careful. Most people, like Corinthians tells us, only know in part about what's going on in, in somebody's life or the circumstances. Every story has two sides. Isn't that true? You know? I'm always amused by people who try to tell me who I am or what my motives are. I'm still trying to work that out for myself. So the fact that anybody else has this amazing insight into my nature and character, well, it's, it, it, it surprises me, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure the same is with you. Um, you've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. Derek Prince, who's a fantastic Bible teacher who's with the Lord now, talked about the body of Christ and talked about maturity. He said, in the life of a church, you can have a reality which is not as good as you'd want it to be, um, and then you can have an ideal that's so far removed. The problem with having ideals is that you expect everybody else to live up to them. You never judge yourself accordingly. But Derek Prince says that maturity is in the middle. Maturity is the ability to hold on to the reality of what it is, hold on to the ideal for what it could be, and live within that tension. And if you can do that in a healthy fashion, that means that you're being honest about the challenges you might be facing, and you have a high understanding or high ideal of what the potential could be, but you're comfortable living in that tension. You're comfortable living in the middle. Uh, often gossip and the like is generated by people having really high ideals and expecting everybody else to live up to them. You know, we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. You ever notice that? We judge others by their actions and everybody else by their intentions. And so it is for us in the body of Christ. We need to hold on to the ideal and live with the reality and find ourselves pitched in the middle, living in that tension. Otherwise, we will become the destroyer of the church. You know, no one's above the church. No one's um, beyond the church. No one sits outside the church and judges it. It is only those of us who are in it can measure it, and we measure it in a spirit of love. And we measure it in a way that gives life, not judgment, to the church. So, as summary, we believe in the church. And uh, we believe in the church because it is the body of Christ. 
We believe in the church because we are part of it. We believe in the church because we know its redemptive potential is enormous and still largely untapped. We believe in the church because even in the life of our church, we can see how we make inroads into the society, into the community, with the different things that our folks are putting their hands and energy to. And I'm really confident this year that we can take this all up another notch. Not that mean we have to work harder, but we just pray with more focus, that we celebrate what each other brings, and we can invite each other to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We believe in the church, and we're reminded that Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He says, I will build it. If you want to get on the program, the Jesus program, what is it that he wants, then you need to be investing your life in the local church. Not just having a we'll see mentality, but really being committed to this, to this place and to the well-being of our city. That, for me, is the greatest gift that God has given us whilst we're still here on earth, is the ability to be part of the church, the part of something bigger than ourselves, and to celebrate what it is that God has done and is doing in our midst. Let's stand for prayer. Father, as we look at our church, the body of Christ in this city, the nation and throughout the world, we recognize that you have gifted the church with each other. The people who stand next to us are a gift to us. And for this reason, Lord, we know that there is every opportunity for the church to grow. We're grateful, Lord, for how it is that you've taken us personally on a journey from immaturity to maturity, how it is that you've given us grace, how you've brought correction into our lives, how your word washes us, how we find new freedoms and new life and the things that we learn about you, Lord, and about ourselves. But Father, we want to commit ourselves to be the body of Christ. We commit ourselves to one another and we'll get past the we'll see attitude and we take on what it is that you've destined us to take hold of. It doesn't matter what part of the body we are, a foot or an eye or an ear or a hand, uh, whatever it is, Lord, we know that we belong and that we are belonging for a purpose. And so we give ourselves to you as we begin this new year. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the body of Christ as it is. We thank you for the ideal of what it could be. And we thank you for the maturity to hold on to both. The picture that we have is something that you've given us and we hold on to this because you have worked in our lives to ensure that we know we have something to give. So we ask for your blessing upon the church and upon us its members. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.